We've been talking through the book of Ephesians, studying it together for some time, this, this, uh, this God's letter to his church, that Jesus said, I will build my church. The first three chapters of that letter were, were all about what God has done for us in Christ, our identity with him, our new standing in God's Son. We were far off. He's brought us near. He has made us his own. We have peace with God. We have right relationship with him. We are secure. We are indwelt and sealed by God's Holy Spirit. Our God by Spirit lives not only with us, but within us. And then we are called not only to this anticipation of a future certainty, but we have laid out for the in, laid out before us in this letter the invitation to step into this new life, to, to live in already this calling with which God has called us. And so the, so the first three chapters describe this calling, this new standing that God has given us. The, the, the last three chapters, four, five, and six, then, then uh, call us to step into it, to live into it. And in some uh, uh, very uh, overarching or, or fairly wide-ranging ways of, of walking worthy of the calling, of uh, putting off the old and putting on this new identity, and in these last three sections, we're going to get quite specific. We got specific last week in terms of husbands and wives. This week, children and parents. And next week, we'll take our faith to work in terms of, of servants and masters. And in all of this, we are living out the fullness of Christ. As, God, as by God's indwelling spirit, that he, he is filling us, the spirit would fill us with the fullness of Christ, the likeness of Christ, growing us toward maturity, that we are knowing and following Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus. And, and how that relates, not only just in life in general, but it gets very specific and very practical in following Jesus as families. That we follow Jesus by following in families, children. That we know and follow Jesus by helping others in our family, children. Know and follow Jesus as parents. So that which we have declared, this is our purpose as a church family, to know and follow Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus. That works right down, and that's the core of not only our church family life together, but your family life together, to know and follow Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus. And to know and follow Jesus by knowing and following in your own family. So as we get into these four verses of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, I want to read them and then we'll talk with them. We'll, we'll talk first to the children and then to the parents. We'll talk to younger children, children at home. We'll talk to adult children of hopefully adult parents. And uh, then we'll turn around to the parent side, parenting children, children at home, parenting also adult children. So first let's read, let's hear from God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, 
Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction or the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So first of all, for the children. And this is going to relate not merely to young ones. This is not going to merely relate to dependent children at home of age, uh, age 1 to 18. This is going to relate to all of us as children of parents in one way or another. Honor God by honoring your parents. First three verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That first word for children, and, and, and there's a word for obey. This first word for children, it speaks particularly to dependent children. It speaks to, it's normally used for younger children in the home, not necessarily technically specific of an age, but it carries the idea of dependency, that this is a child that is still, to some extent, dependent upon their parents. They are not on their own. It's used affectionately in spiritual terms as well, that Paul refers to his child in the faith, for instance, referring to an adult, Timothy. But it's also used by God of his children in Ephesians. So there's some parallel here. I think Paul means for us to draw that parallel. He refers to we who believe in Jesus as beloved children of God in Ephesians 5.1. He refers to us as children of light so that we should walk as children of light in Ephesians 5.8. That children also, like wives and husbands in the previous section, live out what it is to be children of God by how we live out what it is to be children obedient to and honoring to our parents. So children, obey your parents. So what does it mean to obey? Well, obey, as you look into the original language word there, it's a word that means, well, obey. It means to follow, to be subject to. It does mean to, well, to do what one's told. That'd go a long way, wouldn't it? But it also, there's a, as I kind of tried to unpack this very literally, how might it express that word? It could also be translated to bend your ear toward. Bend your ear toward. That means to, to tune in, not to tune out. I remember the psalm where, where, the, where, where the Lord is encouraging his, his, his people to look to him that he might guide them by his gaze, that he would guide them just by the direction of his eyes, that, they are that, that, that God's people are that tuned in to following Him. And would, would children be that oriented toward their parents, not waiting to be directed in order to respond? Kids, you, want, you wonder what to give your, your dad for Father's Day. How about knowing His will and being ahead of His request? Maybe that's eggs and bacon and toast and bread, or that's dove chocolate. But, but knowing ahead and leaning into it will bring delight to a father. To tune in, not to tune out. When, or or uh, um, obey your parents. So, uh, kids, when mom speaks, that's the time to mute the music, okay? Don't just let it in and just have trouble. Maybe you hear or maybe you don't. Mute the music. Turn, turn down the TV, whatever it is. Give your full attention to bend your ear toward. Now, Obedience is to your parents. Children, obey your parents. That's nobody else normally. 
and I'm speaking norms here, I know there's exceptions, but nobody else normally cares for children as the parents do. Many other people will want to influence you according to their own agenda, but it's your parents who truly love you and want what's best for you. Now, you might be thinking, depending on how old you are, well, they have a funny way of showing it. Yes, they do. We, our parents, are funny people, but no one has your best really at heart even if they're not sure sometimes how to show it. No one has your best at heart like they do. Their agenda is for your best, not themselves. And I know that's, a, that's an absolute statement. You could certainly come up with exceptions in your experience, but don't the exceptions prove the rule? When it's not like that, doesn't that um, stir something within you that, that my parents shouldn't be like this? They, they should be for me. Your own heart tells you that. The exception would prove the rule. And sometimes when there's dysfunctionality or, or whatever it is, the parent's not providing that, you know that it should be that way. You should be able to trust your parents. So then when somebody, when somebody says to you, well, don't listen to your parents on this, or, or don't tell your parents about this, that should be a red flag. That should be a red flag like the snake in the garden. He's the one that was saying, you, don't, you really don't need to listen to God on that. You don't need to listen to your father on that. Well, when you hear those voices, put it in that category. Immediately suspicious of and to withdraw from. Children, obey your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. The parallel in Colossians 3.20 helps us understand that. Obey your parents because, it says in Colossians 3.20, this is pleasing to the Lord. What pleases the Lord is that you're yielding to, obedient to your parents. Obedience to parent is done in the spirit of obeying the Lord by obeying parents. You know, so much of God's will is really pretty clear to us. We, we, we wonder, how could I know God's will in X, Y, or Z? Well, one of the channels for you as children of parents is your parents. We obey our, our Lord by obeying our parents. Jesus' obedience to his father intersects with his submission to his parents. You may be thinking, well, yeah, I know, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to obey my parents, but my parents, parents don't understand. Have you ever been there? Is anybody here 15 or older? Have you been there where, but my parents just don't get it? What should I do when my parents just don't understand? Well, do what Jesus did. Do you remember the time when, when, when the, when, I mean, the parents blew it, clearly. The parents are at fault here. They take Jesus with them to Jerusalem. So far, so good. And then when it's time to go home after the, after the festival, they leave and they head back home with the rest of the caravan. They don't bother to take Jesus with them. He's 12 years old and they leave him behind in the city. I guess they assume he's with somebody else. And somebody else assumed that he was with them. It's hard to imagine how that happened, but it easily could. And yet the parents leave the kid behind. I say the kid, this is Jesus, but he's 12 years old. He's 12 years old. Now, maybe, maybe at the first stop that night, they're, they're looking around and they're comparing notes. Okay, now, I thought he was with you. Well, I thought he was with you. And so quickly, 
Some of them make a hurried trip back. Mary and Joseph make a run back to Jerusalem, and there they find Jesus engaged at the temple in a theological discourse explaining the scriptures to the scribes and the priests and the others who were gathered there. And, and they, 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 they confront him. Why have you done this? We've been looking all over for you. And Jesus' reply is, well, why were you looking all over for me? Surely you should have known where to find me. He said, did you not know, in Luke chapter 2, did you not know that in the things of the Father I must be? That I must be doing the things of my Father. Didn't you know you would find me in my Father's house, around my Father's word? That's where you'd have to find me. In verse 50, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. You know what that tells me? Mary and Joseph, at least a little, as parents, didn't quite get it. Jesus is only 12, but they don't quite get it. So what's Jesus' response? The Lord of the universe, he says, it says here, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. That's astounding on the face of it. Because of the clear admission, not only we know, we, we who are reading the story later, we know who Jesus is. And the scribes and, and the priests, the Pharisees, everybody that's gathered around as he's teaching them, as he's explaining to them the scriptures. They're, they've never had a 12-year-old unfold God's truth like this before. And his parents don't get it quite. And yet he yields himself to them. It's really not a point about are my parents right or not. The point is it's right to yield and obey my parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, how do we do this? Well, some practicalities then of how, we, how children would step into that is obey first, then ask why. Have you been in the situation and probably, well, when you, as you get a little older as a, as a kiddo, you know, like two or three, you start asking why, right? And uh, then when you get a little older and cleverer, around about uh, 12 and up, you start to ask why differently in a little more insidious ways. The why is not so much curious as it is challenging at this point. But one of the ways that children obey their parents in the Lord and honor their mother and father is to obey first, then ask why. I learned that in the Air Force. I learned that at the ripe old age of 20, that my, my grizzled old master sergeant didn't really care to explain to me why when he gave me an order. The order was to be followed. If I wanted to know more about the rationale or reasoning behind it, I could learn that later at a more opportune time. I could ask some questions then. But when he gave the order, it was not the time to start a debate about whether that was the right thing to do or not. I learned that the hard way. Don't learn that the hard way. Learn that the easy way. Obey first and ask second. Okay? How about, how, well, here's an easy one. Just lose the eye roll, Okay? Just lose the eye roll. Don't roll your eyes no matter what. Try to do whatever you can to pin those eyes just there, okay? No need for them to go up and back into your head. Just, just, just skip the whole eye roll thing. How about do what they'd want without being told? Much of, I know as much as you would roll your eyes about it, you know a lot of what your parents would like you to do. You really just don't want to do it. What if you just did it anyway? 
Not because you really want to. Not because you're sold out on that's the best course of action, but simply because you know that's what your parents would like for you to do. As a dependent child focused on I'm to obey my parents, then if you're going to do that anyway, why not, why not get some extra bonus points by doing it before you're told instead of afterwards? How about obeying when your parents aren't around? Or obeying doing what it was is that you know that they would want you to do even when they're not around or they won't know others, when you're around others instead? How about how you talk about your parents when they're not around? How you talk about your parents with your peers? Does that honor and respect them or does it do something else? In terms of, um, of, of dependent children obeying their parents, let's talk about dating. This is probably an area that you're going to have some clashes with your parents over. Some of you that are a little older than teens are smiling now because you've had those clashes. Some of you that are a little younger than that are saying, oh, boy, okay. I know the eye roll almost started there, but you, but you held it. I appreciate that. Listen to their wisdom and warnings when it comes to dating. Talk with them about that. Go ahead. You can talk with them about that. I know it's hard to believe, but once upon a time, long, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, your parents also were teenagers. Okay? It was when there were covered wagons and oil lamps still, but your parents were teenagers once. They, they, they know something about them. And you can, the time to learn from their warnings and wisdom is before you fall in love. By the time you got, you, you've got the big eyes for the guy, you drag him home like a lost puppy and say, Mama, can we keep him? It's too late. You're not listening to them any longer. So listen ahead of time and learn from the wisdom, the warnings, the pain that they would love to save you some from if they can. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is simply right. It was recognized in Paul's day by society at large. Of course, parents were the ones who had authority in their family. And a child that was insubordinate to their own parents was considered worthless, was considered a, 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 a rebel, was not admired in the same ways that, that that free spiritness might be admired in our culture today, or at least among your peers. That, that it was recognized that it was right to obey your parents. But... We don't do it merely because that's what society says is right. Paul's, Paul's connection of what is right is going to be made in another place. But first of all, just grab hold of this. There, is, there are things that are right. In the midst of a world that doesn't much know what's right and wrong anymore, there is right and there is wrong. And the basic wisdom of life is simply this, do what's right. I know when we left for Africa, which was going into a different world with much that we didn't understand, some basic advice I was given uh, upon our first arrival was do what's right and trust God. Trust God for the outcome. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going to do what I know to be right according to what God has set before me. So do what's right and trust God. That's the basic wisdom of life, and what's right is defined by God's Word. You notice that in the flow of this passage. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he turns to Scripture. Honor your father and mother. And in case you didn't know that that was Scripture, he says this is the first commandment with a promise. And he goes into that promise. So Paul defines what's right based on God's Word. And so we, we want to hear of God's Word. We want to learn from God's Word because that's telling us what's right. And hopefully in then this parent-childing thing that's going on at home in the family, God's Word is central in that, both for the parents and for the children. One of the things, parents, that you give your kids the opportunity when you're sharing with them God's Word, when you're shining that light upon their paths rather than just giving them your best commands and instruction is that you're giving them the privilege of following you by faith rather than just following you because you're the parent. You give them the privilege then of obeying their parents as unto the Lord because you're showing them what's right according to what God has said. Honor your father and mother. Now, the, the, the command, honor your father and mother, going all the way back to Sinai, was not merely given. Can you imagine? There we are at the mountain, and it's fire and smoke, and it's a scary scene. And so the families all push their five- and six-year-olds up front so that they can hear this command, because this is the children's command. This is for them. No, actually, it wasn't. This was a command for the 20-somethings to remember to honor their adult children responsible to the law to honor their father and mother, particularly in caring for them as the father and mother had cared for the children when they were dependent upon their parents. These are children no longer dependents. These are children that are responsible for themselves, and they're also in due time to be responsible for their parents and to care for and provide for their parents. That's a point upon which Jesus confronts the practices of his day in the first century. There had arisen this thing that there was the understanding that, that adult children were supposed to be providing for their parents. There was no Social Security. There were no pension schemes. There was no, no IRAs, 401s, or 403s, or any of those things. Those, those, those were not around. Your, your family was your retirement plan. And, but... The temple apparatus and all the systems surrounded by that had needs for giving. And so one of the provisions they came up with, one of the policies that they wrote was, well, you're supposed to provide for your parents, you're supposed to honor your parents in a material way, caring for them, but if you instead honor God, if you instead devote your resources that you're going to give them to the temple, even if you don't give them now, but you pledge them to be given later at some point, those funds which you pledge to give one day to the temple are exempt from any obligation to be used in caring for your parents. And so, Jesus confronts them. He says, but you say, if uh, God says, honor your father and mother, but you say, if anyone tells his father and mother, what you would have gained from me has been given to God. He need not honor his father. You have replaced the word of God with the traditions or ambitions of men. My point in all that is simply saying that, that, that Jesus also understands this command as applying to adult children no longer in the home, under their parents' roof, but now having an obligation in honoring their parents' 
still as adults. I think of this example. I, th- I thought of uh, um, just the decision-making that I, I went through. Uh, years ago, we were on the mission field, and my mom's situation at home was such. She didn't have any of us adult kids near her at home. She was completely on her own, and the house was more than she could take care of. And it, it came to the point that I was, I was not sure what to do. Should I remain on the mission field, or should I leave the mission field and move home and find a job and just be somewhere closer that I could provide more help and assistance for my mom? And still today, I'm not quite sure if uh, our choice there was the right choice or not, not because I have lingering, any lingering guilt about it, but because either decision would have been a good decision, depending on the various um, situation and circumstances. But my point of sharing all of that is, is that we do have an obligation to honor, as adult children, an obligation to honor our adult parents. And that can look all kinds of ways. The, the, the um, quotation is out of the commandments. He says it's the first command with promise, and the promise relates directly to the promised land. So when you read that command with a promise, think the commandment relating to the promised land, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land, Deuteronomy 5 goes on to say, which I am giving you. This was a covenantal promise. Now, you could be thinking, well, yeah, you're going to live long in the land if you honor your mother and father because a child, an adult son that did not honor his mother and father but rather was disobedient and was rebellious and was a glutton and was a partier and these various things, was a worthless son, he might be actually punished even by death in the community of Israel. So, yeah, you, you, you don't follow this commandment. The promise might be that you might not live long at all. But I don't think that's the, that's the key here. I don't think we're, 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 we're following this under penalty of death. Rather, that, that expression around the covenant, that it might go well for you in the land that I'm giving you, that you may live long in the land that I'm giving you, because what happens to Israel? Their time in the land comes to an end. Their, goodness of, their experience of the goodness of God's blessing in the land of their inheritance comes short. Instead of their enemies fleeing before them, they end up fleeing before their enemies. Instead of having the, the early rains and the late rains, they end up with three years of drought. Why? Because they have forsaken the following of their God and His ways. And so they experience, rather than the covenant blessings, they experience God's chastening. And that ultimately ends in their exile out of the land rather than remaining long in the land. That's the connection here. So there's a covenantal promise here that we would do well to grab hold of to the effect that God's people experience God's blessing in our inheritance of life in Christ and His life in us. Here, the, that fullness of Christ by the Spirit that He is working in us, that the Spirit would fill us with, an aspect of that fullness of Christ is our honoring our mother and father, even as Jesus honored his father when he was 12 years old and even throughout his whole ministry. He always did those things which pleased his father. Jesus is an example for us as a, as a young child and as a mature adult. He's an example for us of what it looks like to honor your mother and father. One of the last things he does before his death is he honors his mother in her provision when he says to John, Behold your mother. 
woman, behold your son. And he entrusts that ongoing care of his mother to somebody that he could trust to look after her. We we experience something of, of our inheritance in Christ and his spiritual life in us as we step into this very simple command, which runs very deep, honor your mother and father. As First as John says, even as we love God whom we don't see by loving our brother whom we do see, how do you love God? John says, by loving your brother. You don't see God. How do you love God? You love God by loving your brother. So also I would extend that. How do we love God our Father whom we do not see? We love God our Father whom we do not see by loving our father and mother, by honoring our father and mother whom we do see. How do adult children do this? What does this look like in our world? Well, it might be practical help. It might be the kinds of things that they really need somebody to do for them, but they are hesitant to ask because they don't want to be a burden upon you. Don't let them be a burden upon you. Get ahead of it, take a notice, and offer it freely. Offer it to them out of love instead of them needing to make a request that you might be obligated for. It might be, you know, it's raining a lot. Then we get a, a sunbreak for a couple of days, just enough to give the grass a chance to shoot up, have a quick mowing window before it rains again so more grass can grow. There's probably grass to mow for some of your moms or dad. That would be one next step you could actually do. Spend time with them. I think of the song. I called my boy just the other day. How did it go? How does it go? Long time now, my son's been away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd love to see you, if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find a time. But the new job's a hassle, and the kids got the flu, but it's been sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. I hung up the phone. It occurred to me, my boy was just like me. He'd grown up just like me. And the cat's in the cradle, the silver spoon. The little boy grew to a man on the moon. When you coming home? Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then, yeah. You know we'll have a good time then. Make then happen. That's what I'm telling you. Take the time to make them hap- then happen now. That is honoring. If they're out of the area, give them a call. If adult children, ask your parents' advice still. One of the things I love, I've got, I've got a son who's an electrical engineer, and he calls me for advice on an electrical project. I don't know if he really needs my advice or not. And I'll tell you what, I don't care. I love him asking me for it. I love, I don't know if I'm, if, I, if I'm help or hindrance when I join him on a project at his house, but I love to be asked and invited. Just like they let you help when you were five, let them help when they're 55. Go ahead. Invite them in to some of the stuff in your life. If you ask them for advice, little secret here, You don't have to take it, okay? 
You don't have to follow the advice, but just ask for it, would you? Man, that'll be encouraging to them. That'll be a blessing to them. If your own parents are no longer here, honor an older mom or dad within the church family. Find some way that you can still honor your father by honoring a father or mother here in God's family. And just as wives and husbands, there's a corresponding command on the other side, so it is for children and parents. Let's, let's spend a few minutes then talking to the fathers as well. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In the Roman context, the father had absolute authority, even life and death authority over their children. So don't practice parenting merely as the culture does. Don't rely on, as I think Paul is softening that. He's trying, to, he's trying to tell them, fathers, don't parent merely from an authority-reliant manner which Roman society gives you and facilitates and, and admires and encourages. But rather, don't provoke your children to anger. And there's more to that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 adds to that the idea of discouragement. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I was, I was reminded earlier this week by one of the men in our Monday morning study of the J.B. Phillips paraphrase here. It says, fathers, don't overcorrect your children or make it difficult for them to obey the commandment to honor your mother and father. They're supposed to honor their mother and father. Don't make that hard. Make that easy. And don't overcorrect or overcritique in ways that frustrate and discourage. The idea of I can never quite please my father, so why try? And what happens is we take that from our human experience. I can never quite please my father, so I try. We take that into our relationship with our heavenly father. I can never quite please God, so why try? Delight in the steps of your children's obedience. Delight in the decisions and, and rejoice over those choices that your adult children make. Celebrate and encourage that. Fathers points to the father's ultimate responsibility, but with that there can come a, a, a heavy-handedness. Normally in, in between fathers and mothers, there's this balancing act going on. That, that um, often between fathers and mothers, and I don't want to stereotype every family relationship is a little bit different, every, every complementary marriage relationship is a little bit different, but often there's this balance between protection of the child and expectations of the child. There's a balance between caring and challenging or stretching, of encouraging and exhorting, calling them to more. From one side, it seems the child can do no wrong. On the other extreme, it can seem like the child can do no right. So balance one another in these aspects because both encouragement and exhortation, both care and challenge are needed in growing to maturity. And so they need both of those aspects. Don't provoke your children does not mean give in to them, do whatever they want so that they don't throw a tantrum. Fathers easily turn not provoking their children into indulging their children. Giving them what they want or they're going to pitch a fit, they'll become passive-aggressive, I'll lose my kid, they won't be my friend. 
you're not raising a friend. You're parenting. We have a lot of children raising children. By children raising children, I mean people that have not come to a real human maturity themselves and they're trying to bring somebody else to maturity. But they don't bring somebody else to maturity because they don't know what maturity is for themselves yet. They, they haven't been settled in their own identity in Christ and they're not able to pass then that security of identity onto another. Children raising children are looking for friends, others who will build them up and, and encourage them. They want to be sure that their children will be their friends so that they become the child's friend instead of the parent. Too many parents today are looking for reinforcement of their identity from their kids instead of reinforcing a godly identity in their kids. And that is not a pattern that you as parents want to follow. Parents expect to be obeyed without reason. That's fair enough. You should expect that your children will obey you without giving them a reason. And yet, always have a good reason for the obedience that you expect. Expect them to obey without reason, but always have a good reason for whatever you're expecting from them. A rule is only worth having if it's really worth enforcing and can be explained. Take time to listen. Take time to understand, not just to tell or solve problems. You know that works in marriage, doesn't it? Sometimes we don't want an answer. We don't want you to solve the problem. We just want to be heard in the relationship and understood. One of the the needs of human intimacy is just to be understood by another. That's validating. And that's true with parents and children as well, especially as they're beginning to mature in their own identity, to be heard and understand and still give them the responsibility and the honor of solving the problem for themselves, but an opportunity to be heard and to be understood. Give them reason to love you apart from what you give them. Give them reason to love you apart from the things that you give them or provide for them. What they perceive about your love for them will impact their perceptions of God's love for them. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction or the nurture and admonition. There's two different words here, and they have two slightly different nuances. The first one, nurture or discipline, seems to be more related to child training, education, instruction, discipline. That second word, the instruction of the Lord or the admonition of the Lord, seems to have more of a of a influencing, a warning, a coaching, a guiding one's thinking. It's timely suggestions rather than issuing commands. And that suggests kind of a different life stage, doesn't it? There's a, there's a younger formative time where you are giving commands and instruction and do this and don't do that and you're, and you're disciplining and you're correcting. But there's a time when they get older where now you're shaping more, you're influencing, you're giving principles, you're, you're seeking to guide perspective, you're coaching, you're advising. And as that goes on and, and they move from becoming young adults to to maturing adults and responsible for themselves. And now we get into this whole thing about parenting of adult children. And many of you are there. Is it easier to parent adult children or five and six-year-olds? 
I would say the five and six-year-olds because you're bigger than them. And sooner or later, they have to listen or there's no dinner, right? Sooner or later, you're going to come around to they're going to do it your way. With your adult children, how's that working for you? Yeah. Maybe not nearly as much. And maybe, maybe, maybe it should be more. Maybe it doesn't have to be more. But, but how do you parent adult children? What can we learn from this aspect of coaching and advising and perception and principles? I want to suggest a couple of things. First of all, you are, in the, in, with parenting of adult children, you're still parents, and you still should be honored. We talked about that. There's, there's still honor and respect that should be there, but now your role is coaching. Now your role is one of the timely suggestion. It's advice when asked. I love when they ask for advice because we're pretty careful about giving advice that is not asked for. Uh, there might be a gentle suggestion, but we're pretty careful about telling them what they should be doing when they're not asking for us to do that for them. Also, we've learned, sometimes the hard way, don't discuss advice given with one adult child with other adult children in the family. You remember when they were all teens at home and they had this teen network? They're comparing notes and they're learning the, the ways and the tricks of the parent and how they can get around them. They still do that when they're older. They still talk about the parents without the parents in the room. It still, it still goes on. That network continues and easily turns into family gossip and misunderstandings when advice to one child is, is shared with another. That's your private privilege with each one of them. And whatever they do with it and who they share that with belongs to them, not to you. And can save you a lot of family drama because you're also showing them what it is to respect another and still leaving the responsibility with them and not trying to cause, create any greater pressure around them. Give them the privilege of a privileged conversation or advice. Just like you would never criticize your spouse in front of other people, don't criticize adult children in the midst of the other adult children. You know how you have these family conversations and you talk about what others in the family are doing and easily it moves from just, just uh, conversations about life and things going on to ganging up on somebody and just cannot understand what one of them in the family is doing. I think of one person in our extended family that, that um, will often, often talk with us about some of the crazy, wacky, latest things that somebody else in the family is doing. And while that's somewhat interesting to here, yet I've caught myself wondering, what is this person saying about the weird and wacky things that Bob is doing when she's talking to somebody else instead of to me, right? So that can go a couple of different directions. And the model that would be most healthy for the family is that we don't get into gossiping about one another in the midst of adult parents with adult kids. Finally, this bringing them up, and the goal is maturity, bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is this is a stewardship that the Lord himself has given you. God has entrusted them to you. That you are, this is not up to you, you are the agents of his care. You as parents are the agents of God's nurture and admonition in their growth and their development. This leads to a golden rule of parenting or applying the golden rule to parenting. 
Instruct and guide them with the same kind of gracious care with which the Lord instructs and guides you as his child. Because actually, they will perceive something about your own estimation of how your Father is with you in how you are with them. Show your Father's heart to your family, instructing and guiding them that way to help them honor God by honoring their parents. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, that it is simple and yet it is profound. Father, that we would, as your children, we would honor you by honoring our parents. Lord, we would obey you by obeying our parents. Father, that something of the the character and the glory of our Heavenly Father would be seen in how we as fathers encourage, nurture, counsel, and admonish our children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.